Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. One of the most important things that listeners have to remember when they consider the gospel is its utmost urgency. The Lord Jesus Christ exhorted his hearers to seek first the kingdom of God, to strive to enter in, to not count on the fact that tomorrow will always come. The gospel is not just something to sit back and consider at a later time, but something to act on. Now is the day of salvation. In today's broadcast, Speaker Brody Thibodeau emphasizes the need for action for everyone who hears the wonderful invitation of God. We see an illustration of this as we consider the repentant criminal who was crucified alongside the Savior at Calvary. Now, here was a man who was certain there would be no tomorrow for him. It was a day before the Sabbath, and he would not be left on the cross after sundown. The urgency of his need was strongly pressed upon him. It was now or never. How gracious was God to bring him at the last moments of his life to a place where the salvation of his soul was only a few feet away, and how wonderful that he finally changed his mind about his need and cried out to the Savior who was waiting to save him. Mr. Thibodeau looks closely at this pivotal point in the life of this man. We hope that it will be a pivotal one for you as well. In Luke chapter 23, verse number 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment, or his clothing, and cast lots. And to cast lots would be to gamble. So the last phrase of that verse is telling us that they were gambling for his clothes. Can we read the first part of the verse together again, please? Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness. Perhaps those are the sweetest words in all of the scriptures for a sinner who understands the seriousness of sin, for a sinner who understands the judgment that is deserving of every sinner, for a sinner who understands that going out to meet God in eternity, remaining in your sins, the Lord Jesus said, where I am, he cannot come. But for a sinner for whom the weight of sin has been such a burden Can there be sweeter words than forgive them, forgive them? This is quite an event, really, that's going to take place. It's actually the crisis event in all of the Bible when the Lord Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. Had we read the words previous to this verse, we would have read when they had come to the place, which is called Calvary. There, they crucified him. And sometimes we read that really quickly and we fail to stop and think about what was entailed in that crucifixion and what that scene might have looked like. I am convinced that if that was a scene to be viewed today, it would come with a warning. Viewer discretion advised, not suitable for sensitive viewers, not suitable for children. Because when it says there they crucified him, you have to remember that what was taking place there that day was an act of tremendous violence. There on that day, it was an act that was marked by gruesome, gruesome activity. 
those three men, and there were three men who were nailed to crosses on that day, for there they crucified him and two others with him. Those three men all would have been beaten. Those three men all would have been bleeding. All would have had open wounds. And the Lord Jesus, having had his back, the skin on his back, had been ripped open by that whip that those soldiers and Pilate had used until the, the skin on his back was actually overlapping each other like a plowed field. They crucified him. Before we get to the verse that we read, I want to talk about the two men, one on each side of the Lord Jesus. Two men who up until the point, verse number 39, up until verse number 39, if you're to go to the other gospels, you would find that both of these men were casting the same at his teeth. And what that really meant was in the context, there were people who were scoffing the Lord Jesus. There were people who were mocking the Lord Jesus. There were people who were deriding him. And there were these two men. And each of them were also scoffing and mocking and deriding him. They were making fun of him. But there came a point in the experience of one of them where he changed his mind. And really, he is the ultimate illustration of repentance in the scriptures. For it was a change of mind that led to a change in action, which led to a change in destiny or direction. You find that, first of all, he changed his mind about himself. For he said, we receive the due reward of our deeds. What he was saying there is, I am here because I have done something that deserves this punishment. Up until that point, I am convinced he was very, very content to say that his judgment had been unfair. I was just trying to defend my people. I was just trying to defend the Jews. I was just trying to defend us against that tyrannical government. But now he sees things differently. He sees things differently because he now sees I'm a sinner and I deserve judgment. I'm just going to stop here for a second because I think it's important. Based on the Bible, because of what Christ has done, by the grace of God, I'm going to be in heaven. I look back almost 20 years to that night when I keep telling people in that small little living room, in that small little house, on that small little street, in the small little town, in the smallest province in Canada, I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and according to the Bible, I'm going to be in heaven after I die because of what Christ has done. Now, when I get there, I'll tell you this, I can be absolutely sure I will never deserve to be there. I could never deserve to be in heaven. I'm only going to be there because of the grace and kindness of God. But there are people who listen to the gospel and you've never trusted Christ and you're not on your way to heaven. And according to the Bible, there's only one other place. And the reality of eternal punishment in the scriptures is unavoidable. That is, there is a real place called hell where people really go and they die in their sins without the Savior. When I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to say, I don't deserve this, but I'm going to give thanks to the Lamb of God who died and washed me from my sins in his own blood. But when you get to hell, tell me, is that what you deserve? See, according to the Bible, that's what I deserve. I deserve eternal punishment because I have offended an eternally righteous God. And this man realizes this is exactly what I deserve. But after he changed his mind about himself, you know, he changed his mind about the man on the middle cross. And I love this because now instead of casting the accusations and hurling the mockery at the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, this man, this man has done nothing wrong. He's done nothing amiss. So now he realizes that the man on the middle cross is not dying for sins that he has committed, but he's dying on the cross without sin of his own. 
And it is this man who realizes that he deserves punishment. And he realizes that the man on the middle cross doesn't deserve the punishment. He's the man who soon finds the words of the Lord Jesus. Verily I say unto thee today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. Realizing he deserved judgment. Realizing the man on the middle cross was dying, but he did not deserve the judgment. Calling out for mercy, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. He finds the forgiveness that is only found in Christ on that day. You know what I think motivated this man to act in the way that he acted? It's coming back to the original question I asked you tonight about, can this wait till tomorrow? Because make no mistake, everybody who was present at the cross of Calvary on that day knew at least this much. These three men are going to die. Not that these three men are going to die eventually, although sometimes people did hang on the cross for days. But according to the scriptures, we know that this was the time of Passover, special time for Jews. According to the scriptures, we know that the next day was a high day. According to the scriptures, we know that they didn't want to see these bodies hanging on the cross the next day. So this was going to be the day, whether they breathed their last breath as a result of hanging on the cross in the heat of the sun, or they breathed their last breath as a result of having their legs broken so that they would die almost immediately or very hastily. This was going to be the last day. There would be no tomorrow for these men. And they knew it. And the fact that they had lived their lives in rebellion, sinning against God, may not have been enough to motivate them. But the idea and the knowledge that this was going to be their last day on the earth at least caused one man to make a move. I ask you tonight, in light of the fact that this man was motivated because there was no tomorrow, can your salvation wait till tomorrow? But before that man even becomes a part of the narrative in Luke's gospel, we have these words. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then said Jesus, when? The word then really gives us an idea of the chronology. So something has happened before this, leading up to this, and something has happened to motivate these words or to cause the Lord Jesus to say these words. Then said Jesus. And you need to trace the events that have happened leading up to then. You could go back, of course, as far as you want to go back. But when you consider it, just go back to the evening previous where he was praying in deep agony in the Garden of Gethsemane and a friend had come and betrayed him to those Jewish people. And a mob of people come with with staves and with torches and they're going to take him captive. And he goes willingly. He goes willingly to the house of the high priest and they have a trial there, if you want to call it a trial, where there were false accusations and witnesses that did not agree. And yet throughout all the chaos, they decide that he is liable to death. What he has been saying is blasphemy and we're going to put him to death. They take him having been wrongly accused. After an entire night, not sleeping, he's taken before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate is the governor and the governor was the man who was responsible for judging issues like this. So he's now standing before Pontius Pilate and he realizes that all of these Jewish people want to see him killed so they can get rid of him. Now, Pilate has no care for the issues that the Jews will be considering, but he wants to make a judgment. He he has political things on his mind, so he wants to appease the people. But throughout that entire trial, we have to remember what was happening is that there would be soldiers at some point pulling the beard from his face. 
Those same soldiers would be hitting him. Those same men would be spitting on him. Those same men, they twisted a bunch of thorns, long pointy thorns in the form or the shape of a crown and they placed it on his head. They took a reed and they hit the crown of thorns so that there was blood flowing from the head of the Lord Jesus. There would be marks where the skin was torn from the face of the Lord Jesus. There would be actually saliva, the spittle of men that is coming from the face of the Lord Jesus. Then after they cry, crucify him, we will not have this to reign over us. They take him and he bearing his cross, he went forth. And when they come to the place, which is called Calvary, now they make him lie down on a cross. And I would say they didn't have to battle the Lord Jesus and constrain or restrain him. He laid down on the cross and they put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. So now you get the idea after the whipping, after the crown of thorns, after the spitting, after the plucking of the hairs from his face. And they now put nails in his hands and his feet and they shove that cross up into a hole in the ground. And sometimes we get the idea that that cross would have been so high so that people felt separated from the man on the cross. But that's not the case. The cross was just put in a hole in the ground. And it is absolutely possible and probable that the men's knees or the men's hips were about eye level. So all of this is very intimate. All of this is very close. And he hears all of the words of the people who hate him and are mocking him and wanted to get rid of him and all of this suffering and all of this pain and all of this embarrassment for he's hanging there according to the scriptures naked for he may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me. In those circumstances, we hear these words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What does that tell me? It tells me this. No matter what these men had done to him, and no matter what the attitude of these men was toward him, the Lord Jesus still wanted to see them forgiven. Now you will understand in the context, of course, that these men didn't have a Bible. These men had never read the Bible. These men were not familiar with the prophecies, and these men were not acquainted with the promises. You say, say that more concisely. Tell us why it's important. Because these men had never been educated in the coming Messiah. They were not looking for the coming Messiah, and they were ignorant to the facts of the scriptures. The Lord Jesus could say, they know not what they do. And when it comes to most of my listeners in a meeting like this, you have a Bible. You're educated in the gospel and the things of God. You understand a little bit about the holiness of God. You understand what sin is. And you've rejected Christ. And while he still offers forgiveness to you, unconditional, through the blood of Christ, it could never be said of you that you don't know what you're doing. This is what makes these gospel meetings so solemn and serious. There are many people that I preach to in my short time doing this in the last 10 years, who have heard me preach the gospel, people who have embedded in their minds, John 3 and 16, and hymns and songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know. And they've died and they've gone to hell knowing full well the gospel. But the flip side of that is this. If the Lord Jesus desired forgiveness for the men who spit on him and pulled the hair from his face and whipped him and put the crown of thorns on his head and nailed him to the tree. It doesn't matter what you have done in your past. It doesn't matter what your attitude has been toward Christ. It doesn't matter how many times you have rejected him up until this point. Right here, 
The message of forgiveness is just as real. His desire to forgive you is just as great. And the reality that you can have your sins forgiven tonight is absolutely sure. Forgive them. Forgive them. This verse is very sweet to believers. I hope we understand that and I hope we never lose the joy these words. For in the life of a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ, having been forgiven of our sins, there are times, no doubt, when Satan attacks and brings up the sins of the past. There are days when in weakness we give in to the flesh, say a wrong word. We think a wrong thought. We do a wrong thing. And it's sin. And yet we remember the forgiveness that God has given is not temporary. It is not conditional upon my performance. It is absolutely permanent and eternal and based on the unchanging work of the cross of Calvary. You know what I received that night? You know, Larry PEI, when I trusted Christ, was forgiveness one time, but for all time. What I received that night was that the slate, the record of my sins has been completely erased. That is the record of my sins that would have met me at the great white throne judgment, for that is one of the books that will be opened. The record of my sins that was on high in heaven where every single sin that I have ever committed, every word I had said, every deed I had done, every thought that had gone through my mind, every meditation that was sin against God, every time I rejected Christ, every time I rebelled against the gospel, written in heaven, every lie I had told, everything I had stolen. The night that I trusted Christ, that was completely wiped clean. And it remains clean, never to be presented as evidence in the courtroom of God again. Why? Because of the forgiveness that I have received as a result of the death of Christ on the cross, the night that I trusted him, that's all gone. But it goes even deeper than that. The forgiveness that God has given goes beyond just wiping the record clean so that there's no evidence against me. My very conscience has been cleansed from the guilt of sin by the blood of Christ, according to the book of Hebrews. That is, I no longer am a guilty sinner. I am an absolutely cleansed saint. I am no longer guilty in the eyes of God with a conscience that has been stained by sin. I have been cleansed and loosed from my sins by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I love those words of revelation unto him that loved us and washed us. It could be said loosed us from our sins in his own blood. There will be indeed a worship that will ascend to the throne of heaven and will be echoed throughout the courts of heaven for all eternity to the one who made it possible for me to have forgiveness and have my slate clean, the record of my sins gone, and have my conscience cleansed, the guilt totally moved and removed. You know, this forgiveness is absolutely the greatest thing you could ever have. And if you were to just understand tonight that sin is heavy and meeting God in your sins is so serious. It's very possible that there's no tomorrow for you. If you were to approach it with that urgency and desire forgiveness, wouldn't it be sweet to just know it's all gone? My sins are all gone. Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. To the sinner tonight, 
who is willing to confess I deserve that eternal punishment for my sin, who is willing to look to Christ on the cross and cry for forgiveness. There's an answer that comes back from the lips of Christ himself in the scriptures, and it is this. Forgive them. If you are a regular listener to Anchor Point, you no doubt know a lot more about the gospel message than this poor thief had known. Not only that, but you have the scriptures at your disposal to look up verses to help you understand how you can be saved. This man knew only one thing, that he was wrong, and that the man on the middle cross could save him. He called out to him and was immediately saved. Today you will be with me in paradise, the Savior said. Come to Christ today, won't you? Even better, come to Christ right now and know for sure that your sins are all forgiven. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you would like some literature that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.